Peace, peace, peace. Welcome to another episode of Wise the Dome. Today I have my brother and definitely friend of the show, um, Truth Minister Paul Scott, man. He's going to come in and build about some new initiatives that he has and that he's working on and, you know, um, just in the art of organizing. And so I appreciate you again for coming on, brother. Always honored to be here, brother. And we say God evening to you and God evening to all your viewers. It's always an honor, good brother. Same, man, same. Every time we build, man. And so I definitely wanted to, um, you know, get some of our uh, conversations that we have. I wanted to get some of these on camera because I think they would inspire a lot of people and uh, people that are into organizing. And and, um, and so you have <clears throat> the Bull City Griot and great idea. Um, haven't seen anything like it, really. And uh it's a it's a really great idea. So if you can explain to the people um, what it is and how you got started with it. Yes, sir. Well, I, I've been as many people in Durham know for the last 17, 18 years or longer. Um, every week, for the most part, regardless of, and you've been out there on the block, so you can bear witness. Um, Hundred degrees, thirty degrees. I'm out there handing out material to the people. Yes. It used to be, uh, I started with books and then I started doing conscious CDs that I would burn on the laptop with hip hop and lectures. I would pull lectures off of YouTube, like Dr. Dr. Clark and Copley and whatever, and burn them, put them on CD and pass them out. Uh, VHSs, um, DVDs, anything I could pass out to community. But see, the thing is, over the last five or longer than that years, even that's become obsolete. Mm -hmm. So I went back to the books. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it was a, a blessing, really, because now people have gotten rid of their good books because everybody said, okay, everybody's streaming. Let me turn these books back in. Let me give these books back, make a dollar. I paid $20 yeah. for it, but I'm gonna make a dollar from it by selling it back to a used bookstore. So there was a, a surplus of books at a point. So, man, I just got classic books for like for a dollar to stay on the block, bring them out. And and yeah, and it's 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 dope. And if you can give the people an idea of the kind of books you 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 know what I'm saying? Cause it's some classic stuff. I already know I've seen them. And uh what 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 are some of the the books that you've given out already? Like I told this sister this evening when I was giving her a book, she said, I said, what, what topic do you want? She said, what you got? I said, everything. She said, don't say everything. I know, no, literally, everything. <laughs> right, right. Every right. topic, um, everything, brother. Um, Dr. John Henry Clark, Boyce, Booker T. Washington, E.P. Newton, um, Everybody you can name, brother, mm. I've given books out. Mm. And I'm not even talking about the last 18 years. If you're talking about the books I have in Black right. Rio, I'm a Bull City Grill has right now, we got everybody, brother. Mm. Because people have don't, because there was a drought with books in Durham. Because we used to go to Stanford, I used to go to Stanford Air Warren Library every evening. Mm -hmm. And they would have classic black books that they would sell for like a dollar or two. Right. During the week, I would stock up, you know, get 
get five, 10 books, pass them out during the weekend. But now that Stanford Air Warren Library has been closed for renovation, I was out of those. Mm -hmm. So I was blessed to come up with a concept. This sister, elderly sister, was moving. And um, one of my comrades or one of my early teachers, uh, Carter Q, mm -hmm. he said, brother, there's a sister who has room full of books, rooms full of books. She said, if some people don't come get them, they're either going to the good year or the garbage can. Mm. So of course I ran on over. Yeah, right, right. So she had like three rooms, literally, wow. of classic books. Wow. I grabbed a box. Right. Big box to classic stuff. Man, I'm talking about, you name it, it was in Balcom, uh, Walter Rodney, everybody. Mm. So mm. I took a big box out to the car. Her nephew said, that's all you want? I'm like, I can get more? So I got another great box. Mm -hmm. So I'm riding home. And I said, okay, you've been giving out books, but you haven't really promoted it. It's just like a thing you do. Now, let, let me put a, a, a pin nail in there. For activists, it's important that you have one thing that you can show people. Mm. You might do a hundred things in your community, but always have one thing you can pull out your pocket when people say, what do you do? Pull out one thing that you can show and prove that you can do right now. Right. And for me, that was standing on the corner on the West End, giving out books. Mm. So as I'm driving, but I never really promoted it as a big thing. It's just that one thing I pointed to. Where you gonna be at on the West End, uh, passing out books? But when I got all those books, I said, okay, let me rebrand this thing. And the concept popped in my head. I've been, I've been dealing with, because I, I had traced my ancestry recently, and I found out that a lot of my ancestors came from West Africa. Mm -hmm. So I was dealing with the idea of the griot. And for those who, uh, I know most of your viewers are, are familiar with it. That's a West African tradition. The, person who goes around and spreads culture. Right. Teaches, whether it be a historian or a singer or a poet, they carry the culture. So I was looking at those books. I said, Bull City Griot, Durham's first free black bookstore. Because many of us know in the Durham area for me with the no bookstore. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No bookstore's been gone for 14 years. It ain't coming back. Right. No matter how bad we want the no bookstore to come back, it's been gone for 14 years. So I said, let me do a free black bookstore. So two months ago, man, we hit the ground running, free black bookstore in my trunk, in my on my back seat, and on my backpack. And that's how we roll. Nice. Give me one second, G. All right, my bad. No problem. I had a knock on the door. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a great idea, great initiative. Um, um, and that's something, like you said, that we talked about earlier, like anybody can do on their own. I mean, go to find where you can 
get you some used books um, and get four or five on a weekend and, and go pass them out. And um, with that said, the type of books, like you said, you have everything. You also have a lot of things, you know, that pertain to our liberation, our struggle and our history. Um, why is reading those type of books um, and the type of books you are passing out, why is it important that the community have those um, and, and what does that do for the community? In my city, Durham, North Carolina, a lot of people have seen a documentary called Durham Under Fire. If you haven't seen it, go to YouTube and put in Durham Under Fire. It talks about the violence in Durham. And I'm actually in that documentary for a little bit, mm -hmm. you know. But they always talk about solutions to the violence in Durham. How can we stop the youth from killing each other? And they come up with these Eurocentric pre-programmed solutions over and over again. When in reality, the only thing that has stopped the violence in, any, in our community has been knowledge yourself, and knowledge of our history. Mm. That's the only thing that's ever worked. Now look at the historic. Garvey, Marcus Garvey, organized on the low end two million, on the high end 11 million. He organized millions. Right. He organized millions, depending on how you talk to. Some people would go to low end, some people talk, uh, go to high end. What is undisputable is he organized millions of African people without the internet, with only a newspaper, the Black World. Right, the Negro World. I'm sure that had an effect on the violence. Mm -hmm. uh, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad mm -hmm. and his, the people who came from him, experts in stopping the violence by giving knowledge itself and history. You remember the final call? Uh, I know they used to big time put, they would not only put uh, Minister Farrakhan and the Honorable Elijah Muhammad's books and uh, sell their books. They were selling books like all kinds of books dealing oh, yeah. with Black history. And not only that, conspiracy theory. When those of us started reading books like Behold a Pale Horse and Unseen Hand, it's because we read about it in the final call. Mm. So the Nation of Islam has been one of the great, great proponents of stopping the violence so-called Black-on-Black violence. Um, look at the Million Man March. Look at hip-hop. Mm. Hip-hop. The conscious era hip-hop stopped the violence. Made brothers take off their gold chains and put on African medallions. Right. We're talking about for four years during the, during the height of the crack era, 1988 through 1992, until it was destroyed after the LA Rebellion, when they saw the brothers quoting Malcolm and quoting Kwame Ture, and they were asking the news reporters, were asking, where'd you get the information? They said, Public Enemy, Boogie, Boogie Down Productions, and that's why they destroy hip hop. Mm. Uh, if you look at uh, any time there's been a, uh, a stop in the violence in, in, um, in the Black community, it's been because of promoting Black unity and pushing knowledge. So in my city, our city, our city, Durham, North Carolina, I said one, the only solution to stop fratricide 
self-inflicted genocide would be to pass out books as the scripture teaches us. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Wow. And you know what that made me think of? During the, you remember that song um, it had on the West Coast, it was uh, all in the same gang. And on the East Coast, it was uh, um, self-destruction. And those weren't, those songs like wasn't considered like corny or nothing to us then, right? You know, like those was the heavy hitters on the East Coast, heavy hitters on the West Coast. And they were, and that's, that was the real sentiment um, with a lot of the community. Um, we'll get into it uh, later, because I do want to kind of ask you something about that, but I kind of want to stay as far as <clears throat> this initiative and the importance and value of having knowledge yourself. Um, you did mention, like on the documentary, um, <clears throat> as far as what the establishment and government's response is to neighborhood violence. Um, for those that don't know, what would you say, what are some of the things that they respond with when it comes to our communities and crime? You talking about the politicians? Yeah. For the most part, in my opinion, they practice a form of African anti-intellectualism. Mm. African anti-intellectualism. Many of them will try anything except black power and black unity. That, that's, that, 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 that's their responsibility, excuse me. Mm -hmm. But they avoid that. Mm -hmm. I would say that many of them would rather have the gangs than have the black parents. Mm. I would even say, brother, even the, some of the parents. And this is getting a little off topic, but we get back to you. Oh, we're good, we're good. <clears throat> I would say even some of the parents although they may be crying and saying, oh, save my baby, we need to stop the violence, y'all need to stop killing. A lot of these parents, because of our mental condition, they would rather have their child be a blood crip or a gangster disciple than a black revolutionary. Mm. Because psychologically, remember, they would kill black folks to leave. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It was against the law and punishable by death to read. Right. You were known as an uppity nigga. Right. You would be lynched for the reading. Mm. And that plantation psychology subconsciously went from great, great, great grandma and grandfather on down, on down, on down. So many of even the parents today feel if they get involved in that black stuff, they're going to be like Martin Luther King, mm. Malcolm X. So mm. they say they have a better chance of living under white supremacy, being in a gang, than being a revolutionary. Wow. That goes back in the 40s. Mm -hmm. Look at history. That's not a new thing either. Right. In the 40s, there was a character called Stagger Lee. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people glamorized. The Stagger Lee character. There's a lot of blues songs with that Stagger Lee character. Yes, sir. Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. Because the psychology was, he was a crazy Negro. Mm -hmm. And people would not mess with a crazy Negro. Mm -hmm. So they glamorized the Stagger Lee 
concept, but Stagger Lee was really only a danger to other black people. Right, 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 right. Oh man, that's interesting. And you know, and I was uh, doing a knowledge to something the other day and it was uh, about the, uh, the uh, church bombing in uh, Birmingham, Alabama, right? Um, and, um, and so, you know, anytime you're either reading or watching something when it comes to that, they'll, a lot of times they'll give you a broader context of what was going on within the uh, civil rights movement, is like, as they like to call it. And an elder was speaking and she said, so an elder was speaking, two elders. And so one brother who helped organize, I forgot who it was. It wasn't, it wasn't Fresh, uh, Reverend Fred Shuttleworth. It was, um, it was somebody else. But anyway, he was speaking and he was like, you know, it was a small group of us, you know, when he was talking about the Southern Christian Leadership Conference and what they were doing. So it was a small group of us. Um, you know, we kind of popped some things off, but the, it didn't get real until the youth, until the kids came, right? And so the parents were trying to keep the children from joining um, these marches and these different protests, but the children were rebellious. And obviously during that time, there was racism and white supremacy was so overt that you might not have had to read a book to understand what it was right you saw it every day you know especially them in Alabama you know dealing with the likes of uh, George Wallace and Bull Connor and people of that nature you know and so what was what was interesting is um the, the elder <clears throat> was talking like the the children were out there handling their business they were they were even going to jail for the cause and the parents were at home not participating and some of them would even chastise their children from doing this and and so what you just stated even though it's not exactly the same as far as parents being afraid of in these days and times of their children being revolutionary but at the same time it's still somewhat the same it's the seed that is that continues to be planted whenever we look at our youth right most movements um I'm, okay i won't even i won't say most but a lot of movements especially here in the wilderness of north america have been driven and powered by the youth um you know after a certain age, a lot of brothers and sisters, they feel like they got a little bit too much to lose to do certain things, right? Or they may have children of their own or just, you know, just a lot of things. I, I mean, I'm, it is what it is. But what is it about um, the power of Black youth, right, that are able to, whenever they get invested, whenever they do get the knowledge itself, how their ability to, you know, galvanize other youth and and create movements that have lasting effects for us and our people. What is it about the the black youth that's able to do that? That's a blessing and a curse. Mm. When I was coming up, first got involved in the movement, 
I was taught that you can't tell me nothing unless you got battle scars. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. because a lot of these people, elders, they never did anything for the movement, but they want to put everything on the youth. Mm-hmm. No, show me where you did it first. Mm. Then we're talking. Mm. See, a lot of these people, it was for some, it was strategy. Mm-hmm. You know, the youth won't spend time in jail. They're younger, they can run faster. Other people were just cowards. Mm. And they saw the youth as uh, dispensable. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. they didn't have a job to lose. They didn't have as much to sacrifice. Yeah, they did. But your cowardly nature put children out there when your behind was home watching TV mm-hmm. or reading the newspaper. Right. So part of that wasn't strategy. Part of that was people just scared. Yeah. Yeah. Don't let anybody activists out here. Don't let anybody put a battery in your back. I don't care how old you are, unless they prove they did it first. Mm. Right. We all got stuff to lose. But I've even noticed that coming up. Elders would get around saying, we need the youth to do this. Mm-hmm. We need mm-hmm. no. Before you tell the youth what to do, first you establish where you get it. I need your paperwork. Right. Where's your resume? Yeah. Now, if your only resume is I was t- I used to tell people all the time and I used to talk around the water fountain and I was telling the brother at the bar, no, mm-hmm. I need to see Bible scars. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway. No, nah, that's, that's real. That's real. Cause I I I I felt that same, you know, and that's what one of the they and they interviewed one of the youth that was there at the um, uh, you know, a lot of the uh, uh boycotts and marches in Birmingham and when that's what he that's what uh she said when they were interviewed one of the youth who was who was now an adult obviously um she said that's what we would say uh when the elders would you know pr- tell them uh like even when they would try to stop them they would you know okay why why can't I go out here and participate um in this revolution and they say, you're too young. And the youth would say, well, well, why you ain't out there? You know what I'm saying? So if you're going to stop the youth from participating in things that have to do with our liberation, and you ain't going out there, uh, like somebody got to do it, right? Somebody got to do it. Um, but yeah, I think there's no easy way. There's no easy yeah, road. Right. On any level, there's sacrifice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And part of the reason some of the mistakes that were made in the movement was because they were youth. I mean, as much as we try to glamorize the Black Panthers, mm-hmm. you know, we're talking about 18 year old, 19 year old, 20 year old kids. Yep. Who yep. had not developed a concept of what to do. Right. And it showed the reason they fell into so many traps was because they were young. So, really, if you're older, you're supposed to be able to fight better. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Because and when you, you say know, traps, you mean like the traps from Cointel Pro? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, they if they would have been older and studied more, mm-hmm. they would have seen some of the traps that were repeated, that had been, repeat, been repeated since the 1940s. Yeah, yeah. They would have understood. Or even starting with Garvey. Well, exactly. Mm-hmm. 19, 1914, 1950. 
with Garvey. They would have understood what they did to Garvey and said, okay, they did the same thing to Garvey. Mm -hmm. This is what they're doing to us. Right. So it's a blessing and a curse. But if you know more, you're supposed to fight more. There are no easy ways. There's no shortcut. Everybody takes a risk. Right. I was um, listening to some music today and um, I had a playlist I had made. It was, it's uh, it's Marvin and um, Gil Scott Heron, right? And, mm. and so you listen to these brothers um, sing about uh, what's happening and what's going on. Hold on one second, somebody's at my door. My bad, that was somebody wrong. I don't know, somebody got something delivered wrong, but anyway. Um, so I, no, I was listening, it was a playlist I made, it was Marvin and um, and Gil Scott Heron. And you know, they were obviously um, part of the soundtrack of, you know, thought and consciousness um, uh, and revolution. Um, you have written for hip hop. Uh, it was allhiphop.com. Mm -hmm. And um, <laughs> so leading, saying that to say this, you know, uh, we see the news cycle is nothing but Kanye West at this point. And um, when it comes to everything that is happening and as far as, I guess what he said, his business, his business, his business dealings, um, like whenever, I, I know you may not have just, cause you know, it can be a distraction and, and but whenever you have just thought about and seen what's happening, what are your thoughts on it? I think that there is a framework that people have to put the discussion in when we're dealing with anti-Semitism. First, we have to understand uh, the word Semite. Mm -hmm. It's not a group of people, it's a language, right. first and foremost. Second, we have to understand that if you look at historically, biblically, the color of the people of the original Hebrews, without a doubt, they were black people. So that's first and foremost. Right. Secondly, uh, third, no, thirdly, there has not been a real discussion about the history of Black-Jewish relations. Uh, people like to point at, you know, the Nation of Islam and others, but in actuality, one of the, the earliest um person who put out the idea, I was trying to pull it up because I had pulled it up. Uh, the person who put out the idea really of anti-Semitic thought, who said at first those things that other people just repeat over the years, he was a Jewish man himself named Benjamin Friedman. Mm. He later converted to, I think, Christianity, but by their definition, you can't convert because it's whatever your mother is. Right, right, right. But the way they said, well, he converted, no. No, so those, uh, even the Kazarian theory, that came out of the mouth of people like Benjamin Freeman. 
but they want to put the whole thing on a black person, but you never hear them talk about Benjamin Freed. Right. Never yeah. I never heard of him. Yeah, Benjamin Freed. Mm -hmm. He is the father of the really the father of anti-Semitism in the United States. And again, he was white and Jewish. So here's the thing that I have issues with as well is so the word anti-Semitism has been obviously weaponized to the point where nobody like when you if you critique Zionism, right? If Zionism gets critiqued, you will be called anti-Semitic or the word anti-Semitism will be used. I have, I remember I was speaking with, I was going back and forth online. It was with this uh, Jewish uh, um, scholar. He had been on uh, Joe Rogan, um, Joe Rogan's podcast a few times. And uh, he was talking about I, what he said something that was really arrogant and somewhat disrespectful as far as um, him being a Jew and uh, and about other people, right, in, in the region. And so I asked him about, well, explain the treatment of Ethiopian Jews that come to Israel and the fight for equality that they have. Well, that question alone made him call me anti-Semitic. Um, do you see that as being a weapon, obviously, with powerful backing that is used to keep any type of legitimate criticism of Zionism, I would say, at bay? Yeah, I mean, you're looking at See, we get caught up in the whole religious aspect. Mm -hmm. It's not about religion, whether you're talking about evangelical Christianity, uh, you're talking about Judaism, people are looking about a belief in a spiritual being, belief in God. It's about power dynamics. Right. So when you look at it as a being about power dynamics, you take the emotion out of it. Right. You know, most people don't care what you worship, if, especially if they don't believe it themselves. Right. It's about power dynamics. Um, and again, you can go and study. Uh, it's a book by um, Jeffrey Charlotte called The Family. Mm -hmm. And it talks about the power of the evangelical Christians. So you're talking oh, yeah. about- yeah. I saw the Netflix documentary. Yeah, the book is better. Okay, okay. Because the book, and I'm not evading so I get back to it. Mm -hmm. The difference is, the documentary doesn't talk about a group in Washington, D.C. in 1968 called the Buffers, a black group where, where the evangelical Christians bought them to shikis, walkie-talkies, and made them into a fake black power movement. Wow. Oh, wow. That's not in the documentary. Right. It's yeah, it's not at all in the documentary. It's in the book. Okay. All right, and that book is readily available. Every place I've seen that book, it's been like two or three dollars. Mm -hmm. Now, now with what has happened with Kanye, do you do you think that 
So there are some things that make it problematic, you know, um, certain things that he has said that people and done that people may consider anti-Black, right? Um, but do you think that this stance that he's taking, because um, we've talked about it, uh, we talked about it before in the DM, um, but the stance that he's taking, there's nobody that's going to come support him, right? As far as to say, yeah, somebody that's powerful and wealthy and black, or maybe even white. Um, but there's, do you see anybody coming to his aid as saying, yay might be, you know, some things he may have gotten wrong, but this, this, and this, he's, he's right in this aspect, or at least have that push to have that conversation, that real conversation as to why one demographic is able to profit so much off of black art and intellectual property the way they do. But see, people try to scapegoat Kanye. Mm -hmm. Nobody really want that, wants that smoke either. Right. They're saying, you know, because Kanye's crazy, uh, you know, and we're not going to back Kanye because he said white lives matter. No, y'all went to back. He could have been the most politically correct, had everything correct, said everything proper, had it back. They still wouldn't support him because history dictates people don't want that smoke. Mm. Okay, you don't back Kanye. What about um, other people? What about Nick Cannon? Well, what's your excuse for not backing Nick Cannon? Mm. What was your excuse for not backing Professor Griff? Mm. And it goes on and on and on. So I don't care, like you just said, alluded to, brother, I don't care how politically correct he would have been, people still weren't going to back us. Nobody really wants to smoke. When we tried to get um, locally last year, the Holocaust on the Holocaust we bill, tried to get mm -hmm. Black history added to the Holocaust bill that would make Black because in North Carolina, um, it's, it's, it's against the law not to teach the Holocaust. Mm -hmm. It's state law. We tried to get Black history added to that law. People ain't stand up and fight for that. Mm -hmm. That same fear. They want- and even, the, even the Black politicians, I remember you, they were like, they would, uh, I remember because building with you on this, like they would act like they would be down, but when it came time to vote, like they, uh, some of them gave excuses, right? No, a couple of them did. Oh, they did? Yeah, okay. they did. Actually, they did. Okay. Okay. They actually stood up. Good. Good. Because they brought it up. We had the conversation. They said they would. Sister out of Greenville, actually, uh, she did it. Good. Uh, good. Brought it up. Props to her. And they actually, it actually lost when it went through the education committee. Mm. But that's a matter of interpretation. And because this, even the reporter said he really couldn't, it was a close call because they didn't do a vote. They did a yay and nay. Mm. If you listen to it, brother, that was the judge's decision which way it went. Yeah. But didn't they say, what well, did somebody, because uh, I'm just trying to remember, but didn't somebody say like, y'all like y'all already got Black History Month? Wasn't that like used as an, like, uh, as an excuse somewhere? I don't think it even got that. Mm. I think it was just a plain, 
no, nah, we ain't doing that. <laughs> but what happened was, the bottom line was, it was supposed to go through three more processes, mm -hmm. but the way they did it, they let it die as a law, but they put it in the budget. So it had been buried in the budget. So when it became uh, time to vote on the budget in order to get, you know, teachers get paid and stop the state from shutting down, they had to approve the whole budget. So mm -hmm. that's how they did it. But it never did, it never did come to a vote. Yeah, that's and that's crazy. It's like, it's um not even getting to a vote. Like why is black, like, the people that I mean, we know why. You know what I mean? Um, because giving us us with knowledge is is the biggest threat to um, the way this system goes. Because eventually, we'll understand that this system does not work. The system is not designed for it to work for us. Okay, it works. It works for y'all. You know what I'm saying? But it's not designed to work for us. And eventually, um. Like the, you know, like the things that they learn in school. That's why what you're doing with the Bull City Grill is so important as well. Because the things that they learn in school have no bearing and effect on who they. It, it's not unlocking their potential. Put it like that. It's not giving them, like, whenever I started studying, I started studying probably like my eleventh grade year. Uh, <clears throat> by then, I was already disillusioned uh, with school. I had learned nothing pertaining to my origin in the world and my place in it and why I am seeing all of these injustices around me. Nothing, right? And so you 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 empower a child um, and equip them with the knowledge of their history and who they are. Um, that spells doom for the establishment. But when it, were you surprised when when that um, didn't go through, that bill didn't go through, or it's just kind of like par for the course at this point? I was surprised by the way it was done. Um, you know, like like Jay Z, but you know, I don't look at things emotionally. Mm -hmm. I studied the way that people do things. You, know, you can get mad if you want to, but you know, like Jay Z said, y'all admire the one who got shot. I admire the shooter. Right, right. You know, so I look at the way things are done, but that just shows that the power organization and the power of being willing to stand on what to stand on. Mm -hmm. But all these people, that goes back to the original point. All these people trying to put batteries in Kanye's back, they don't want that smoke. Right, right, right. You know what? I remember building with you about something. I wanted to see if you can explain it here. Um, Cause it, it just bringing up the Holocaust bill uh, thing kind of uh, sparked the, the thought. And I remember you had built on it before. And being an organizer, being a revolutionary, what's the science of you putting in all this groundwork and then other black folks swooping in and getting some funding who ain't really revolutionary about that and about that life and then going back to where they came from. It happens. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it, it happens, brother. I mean, um, as your teachers teach, you know, it's only 5% of any given population. That's not only, you know, y'all would say 5%. 
it's only five percent of people going to do the right thing. Right. You, in 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 our tradition, we say one hundred and forty four thousand. Mm -hmm. Same science. Right. Same science. Indeed. Same science. Five mm -hmm. percent, one hundred and forty four thousand. Same science. But it just happens, man. I mean, but you gotta ask yourself how bad you really want your people to be free. Mm. You know. You know, but yeah. Well, but what what you think goes into? I know we it, it's hard to say. What goes into the psychology of a brother that is willing to come in and co-op something just for the bread? I mean, that's the ten percent bloodsucker of the poor. We obviously see that, but like, I just don't understand. I, I don't understand it. Um, it's capitalism. So out of, yeah, yeah. To be be so out of touch with your people, where where you are willing to you know sell them out pretty much like i don't i just couldn't sleep at night man i, I don't understand it i mean that's because you have morals right right um capitalism <laughs> isn't a, capitalism isn't based on morals no no it's based on exploitation <laughs> yep yep you're right you're right um when we talk about the violence in places like Durham, but we can, right now, we can pretty much say a, a lot of the, most of the urban areas, and I, when I say urban, I'm not meaning just black, I'm just saying the cities, right? Um, since the pandemic, you know, crime rates have risen, right? Which in my opinion- Depends uh, on who you talk to. Yeah, I, I saw some stats and I don't, I haven't looked too much into it, but I did make the correlation of furthering an economic disparity between the haves and the have-nots is going to possibly uh, make certain people turn up. And when I say the have and the have-nots, that goes to all the people that don't have it, you know, and it's not just, um, it's just not just our community that are, we're economically affected by this. But either way, I've been looking and to see what the responses are from a lot of these cities and a lot of these cities say more cops man like what's your what are your what are your thoughts on that being the solution um for the issues that we see in our community it all goes back to and i'll keep harping on this organization if we as black men especially in our communities are organized, what else are our people going to do? We have not given them alternative. Right. Who right. else they going to call? Ghostbusters? Right. You know, we can, in theory, yeah, we don't need the cops, we don't need the police, but who, who do our people have to call? Right. If there were 10 black men, can, how many cities have 10 black men they can call on who are patrol the neighborhood mm. or go out there and talk in the community? In theory, yeah, mm -hmm. but the actual uh, application it's really not existing in too many communities. Right, so, right. You know, our people have no choice but the police. Now, ideally, uh, we should be able to form a council of elders. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Ideally, we should have enforcement. Ideally, we should have uh, morality in place and social norms in place that if you violate certain principles, even your own grandma or mama would disown you. Right. Ideally. Right. But we don't have that because it's Kwame Ture taught us lack of organization. Mm. Mm. Remember, uh, Jay Ruth said, uh, he said, he said, organization kills more devils than bullets. Who said? Oh, Jay Ruth, the damage. What's that? 
Uh, what was it? Rad? What was it? Hold on, hold on. I'll let me find it for you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get mad. Yeah, cause um, I was I'm kind of into Jaruda Damager, Jaruda Damager. Um, ain't the devil happy? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, damn, you you know this too. You know this song, uh, the frustrated nigga. Yeah. Yeah, the okay. frustrated nigga. But I mean, it, yeah, no, I, I understand, and and I definitely see the the wisdom in that. I mean, we have to be active. We have to we have to be seen. You know, the five percent say a lot is seen and heard everywhere. You know what I mean? And um, we have to be seen and heard everywhere in our community. And you've done a great job of that, and provided a great example for that for over twenty years, man. So salute to you on that for real. Um, yeah, I've been in, at this work for 30 years. Bro. 30 years, my bad. My bad, 30, 30. And um, so I wanted to, and salute again, but uh, I wanted to ask you, um, you know, with it becoming election season, something that I noticed, uh, I had saw a uh, an ad, uh, the Democratic Party. It was uh, Trina and it was uh, the rapper Trina. And uh, it was like some over-sexualized thing that was pretty much like no sex, no vote. Um, then I remember like last election, they did the stripper one, like get your get your booty to the polls. And there's another one. I forgot it, but there's another one, too. Um, like, what does that say about how they think of of the black voting block where they feel like that appeals to us because most people I know find that offensive. It goes back to how they feel about black people in period. Mm -hmm. And that goes beyond just voting. Mm -hmm. um, how the black community is uh, seen as sexual animals. Right. Go back to Sarah Bart. Mm -hmm. Sanjay Bart. Yeah. How the, the, the especially the, the woman is overly sexualized. Mm -hmm. Um, go back, to, and it goes back how they use the myth, myth, myth of the curse of Ham. Mm. And the actual, because most people haven't read the Bible, mm -hmm. the actual curse that they're talking about is not really in the Bible, it's in the Babylonian Talmud. Mm. That extra stuff, mm -hmm. that's in the Babylonian Talmud. Mm -hmm. So it's it's been used to say, okay, they act this way. They're animals. They like shiny, shiny things. Right. They like music. They like drums. Mm -hmm. All these things are, are being used against us. But when you throw money and greed behind, people go along with it. Yeah, you're right. It, it reminds me of when Malcolm was, when Malcolm, uh, you know, talked about, <clears throat> He was being interviewed. I forgot uh, which interview it was, but when he spoke on, like, whenever it comes to, uh, you know, the important topics, important, uh, important initiatives within the black community, why y'all always pulling out an entertainer from the black community, like as if we don't have thought leaders in every field that are conscious and would represent you know, our best interest. You don't ever hear them. And for you, for somebody that has been on Fox News uh, and uh, uh, after that, after you, you know, you after they saw how militant you was after a few shows, you know, no more. Like, do you, 
do you did you see it like a shift in how that how that worked? Because I remember one time they were having you and Khaled and all types of brothers on there. You don't see you now like Dave Chappelle. He made in in one of his uh in one of his stand-ups, you know, he was talking about yo. When when nine eleven happened, why CNN have Ja Rule on there talking about like like you know the, the, as a joke? But we see that now, like people like you and people like other brothers that and sisters that uh, sister soldier was used to be on there. You know, we don't see that no more. Was that a purposeful thing that happened and occurred because they knew that other black people would be watching? and be inspired by the things that you brothers were saying on these networks? They weren't, now I can only speak from my experience. They don't care about shock value, brother. Mm. Mm. They mm. like shock value. <laughs> you know, you're talking about when I was going on Fox, that was 2001, 2002. I think I got kicked off in 2004. <laughs> like that. But, but see, the thing is, you think that it's because you were militant and, and all that's why you get kicked off. No. When I started applying the teachings mm. of the Bois, of Garvey, and moving away from the shock value mm -hmm. and went back to my reading grind and mm. reading books and books and books and studying and, and, and really quoting things, got really into my, cause I was I was good in, um, I knew the Malcolm and I knew yeah. the Summer Garvey, but when I really in 2000, early 2000, 2005, 2006, when I really started reading the totality of black history, they ain't wanna hear from me anymore. Mm. So it was, they liked the militant stuff. Even going theory, back to the Kanye theory, thing. theory and practice scares them. Yeah, even going back to the Kanye thing. Mm -hmm. If Kanye had just came with straight facts, they would ignore it. Yeah, you know. Yeah, they they you harp they harp on the 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 this the stuff that doesn't make sense or the, mm -hmm. the stuff that's going people's attention. When they when it starts dealing with facts, they just ignore it. Mm. I've actually seen I've actually seen that happen on these news channels where somebody hit them with facts and they literally ignore it. They won't yeah. answer the question. They'll just keep going. I mean, they like the shock value. The yeah. shock value, people want shock value. And you know, that's one reason why I'm not writing about hip hop anymore. Mm. You know, people like the shock value, they like the little witty sayings. And yeah. You really go into death. And pull out the research and all that stuff, you know. People, don't, people, uh, uh, people like to be entertained, right? You know. Uh, speaking I of, say, I, now I'm not going to go with the stereotype that people don't like education, but mm -hmm. the masses of people like to be entertained. Oh yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Yeah, they, and including us, <laughs> you know, um, which is we got to get out of that. I have a big issue with celebrity culture. Um, because especially in our community, um, in other communities, I could really care less, but in ours, I remember, um, 
I remember whenever I interviewed after I built with you and you linked it up for me, um, Queen May Jackson, mm-hmm. and she was telling me about being a young teenage girl and getting off the bus and seeing Malcolm, uh, like on the corner, and to her, like he was like a celebrity. He was like how. A, a girl may look at a young girl or a young brother may look at a pop star today. Um, now um, we have a situation to where a lot of the youth don't know who the scholars and revolutionaries are. Um, and the ones that they do know you got to question if they are in a lot of cases, if they are really for the people or not, because, you know, it becomes all about donations, money and, and photo ops. Um, And so that's my, my issue with celebrity culture is just the fact that I've seen grown men idolize rappers to the point where they begin to act like them. They begin to, you know, talk like them and, 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 hold the same ideas and values that they talking about in their records and these are not conscious records or even and when I say conscious I'm not just necessarily somebody just breaking down uh you know the bible the quran science and all that I'm I'm, some conscious records are in my opinion are you know scarface telling street tales of and telling you the pitfalls of what can happen whenever you are living a certain way you know there used to be a there used to be a um uh and a lot of street records back then there used to be a a story that would just not only glory it wouldn't it wouldn't necessarily glorify street life in some cases it would tell you the pitfalls to it as well the people that i used to listen to let but me ask we, you this though yeah. Not to cut you wins. Yeah, no, you're good. You're good. You're good. I think Chuck D said this. I might be quoting the wrong person. Mm-hmm. But if you're drowning, do you want somebody to hand you a mirror? Mm. <laughs> right. I mean, that's a that's a that's powerful, right? At the same time, when it comes to celebrity culture and our fascination with it. As a collective, we need to look in that mirror. But look, let, let me add this. But see, the thing is, those street tales and hip hop, that wasn't for us. Mm, right, right, Let's right. Be right. clear. Right. That was not for black people. Mm. That was for middle class white kids to live vicar- hood vicariously through those lyrics. Right. Because they were the ones that were actually buying it. <laughs> that wasn't for us, brother. On a large, on a large scale, on a lo- on on a on a very large scale, that was not for us. Mm. Mm. That was for uh, white America, middle as they say, middle white America, who were interested in what black people thought to be entertained. Remember, um, remember, Tupac said that in an interview. He was like, "Yo, he's like, he was like, it's, you know, they mad now because." Uh, their sons and daughters are imitating um or trying to imitate you know us in their bedrooms uh, mm-hmm. while they listen to these records 
And uh, I'll, I'll say this. Oh, go ahead. Bro. No, you go ahead. But I'll say this. I count the conscious era as four years, mm-hmm. 88 to 92. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Half, the, the bottom half, the last half, that wasn't for us either. Mm. What was that, that for? That wasn't for us. <laughs> Why you say that? The first two years of conscious rap, it was a black market. Mm-hmm. When you start getting into Daylock, when Griff left Public Enemy, you know, and things of that nature, white folks were uh, were, were buying that conscious rap. If you talk, I've talked to some of the elders during that period, and they'll tell you. You go to that concert, the first two rows, nothing but white people. I can bear witness to that. I've been to a lot of conscious uh, um, concerts, and the audience is majority white people. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> it went for the first two years, you know, we learned a lot. Mm-hmm. It was teaching us about X, Y, and Z public enemies. When Griff was there, they used to put the, the books you should read and, you X-Man. know, yeah. You know, the books you could read and all the things, it was for us. But once it crossed over and MTV rap came, mm-hmm. it was a rap. Mm. Because we were no longer, they became more ambassadors to white America than teachers of black people. I see that still to this day. Yeah. Uh, even a lot of the artists that they promote as conscious artists um, are, <clears throat> are really just like Democrat democratic shields at this point where they're not really saying anything revolutionary i mean it could be uplifting to some I, I guess i won't knock it completely but it ain't like what you're talking about you know how it was in the beginning um brother paul I, as always man I, I you know i always appreciate the time and uh just being able to pick your brain um for anything and for anybody that may want to you know maybe uh you know, donate books or anything to the Bull City uh, Grill initiative that you got going on. Just let them know how they can do so or or if they, you know, just want to follow you online and and pick your brain there and and and, and build. Just let, let the people know how they can get how they can get to you. Yeah, there are two ways um, for the books, social media, IG, Facebook is Bull City Grill. Mm. Bull City Grio. But as far as the Black Messiah movement, all my social media is on the Black Messiah movement and just reach out. But what I would say is the most important thing coming out of Bull City Grio nationally is not the books, it's the four-step process. We call it backpack griots. In your community, get a backpack, put some books in it, hit the streets, and start teaching these babies especially. Grab a book, study the book, teach the information, and then give a book to somebody else. Those four steps, backpack griot movement can be done in any city in America. And brother, I appreciate the time. I appreciate the show. As always, we leave with the Black Messiah motto, stop waiting for a savior and be one. Shalom. Shalom, peace. Appreciate you, God. Appreciate you, brother.